0: RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. This episode of Mission Log is sponsored by LinkedIn. Are you hiring? There's a good chance the person you're looking for is on LinkedIn. Go to LinkedIn.com slash Mission Log and get a $50 credit toward your first job post.
1: Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek Podcast. Episode 283. If wishes, we're horses.
0: Welcome into Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast.
2: I'm John Champion. And I'm Ken Ray. Each week on Mission Log, we watch an episode of Star Trek, taking it apart for messages, morals, and meanings, and seeing whether the whole thing holds up today.
0: This week, if wishes were horses, the one with no wishes and no horses. But it does have a baseball player and Rumpelstiltskin, so he's got that
2: going for it. I've got trivia coming up in a bit, but first... But first, a word from LinkedIn Jobs. Do you know how to hire the right person for a job? LinkedIn does. Because LinkedIn is about work. Sure, you can post to a regular job board, but that'll only get you people looking for a job. LinkedIn is less about finding a job and more about improving abilities, growing a network, and yes, exploring job opportunities as well. It's like a social network with a business focus.
0: Maybe, you know, LinkedIn is a place to find a job. Doesn't it make sense then that it'd be a great place to find talent? Hundreds of thousands of businesses have posted to LinkedIn jobs over the past year, and they should since, get this now, 70% of the U.S. workforce is already on LinkedIn.
2: And LinkedIn is targeting qualified candidates taking into account skills, experience, location, and more to find the right people for you. That's one reason businesses rate LinkedIn jobs 40% higher than job boards at delivering qualified candidates.
0: 22 million professionals view and apply to jobs on LinkedIn every week in every industry. That's every, let me repeat that, every industry. So let's get you set up with the next member of your team.
2: Go to linkedin.com slash mission log and get a $50 credit toward your first job post. That's linkedin.com slash mission log for your $50 credit today. Terms and conditions apply.
0: Get a $50 credit toward your first job post at linkedin.com slash mission log and a big thanks to LinkedIn
2: for sponsoring this week's show. I don't know about you, John, but that makes me want to hire somebody.
0: Let's do it. Let's let's, uh, two or three while we're at it.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Get a guy. Get somebody on the phone. Mm. No, no, no. Don't get them on the phone. LinkedIn.com slash mission (laughs) log. That's actually the thing, right? That's the whole point of what we just said. It would be silly of me to say, hey, hey, call LinkedIn for me. John's got trivia coming up in a moment. But first, I'm going to tell you how to get in touch with us. Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we would love to hear your voice. 323-522-5641 is the phone number to call. 323-522-5641. Our email address is com. Our show website, including discovered Documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember... We may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. And with that, we turn it over to the Trivia King for the Trivia Thing. It's John Champion, everybody.
0: That's good, Ken. Uh, by the way, every call that we get now is going to be, Hey, you guys hiring?
2: <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> <laughs> trivia for today's episode of Wishes Were Horses. The story is by Nell McHugh Crawford and William L. Crawford. Both were new to Star Trek at the time, and neither has written a Star Trek story since then, at least not a produced story anyway. This is Nell's only professional credit, and William had written the story for a film in 1991 called The Psychic. So it's probably no surprise then that the teleplay is credit to Nell and William Crawford and Michael Piller. The final version has a lot of Pillar's work in it. In fact, there was a major point that Pillar changed after a request from one of the actors. Originally, the crew would have been visited by a leprechaun. Colminey objected, not wanting to dip into Irish stereotype. Oh, maybe just some uh, uneasy feelings from Up the Long Ladder. And uh, that character was ultimately changed to Rumpelstiltskin. This episode was directed by Robert Legato. We've mentioned him just a little bit before. He's had a long history with Trek, but primarily from his background in visual effects. He worked on TNG's effects starting with Encounter at Farpoint, then flexed his directorial muscle with Menage a Troy and The Nth Degree. This is the last episode of Trek for which he will get a director's credit, but he was still humming along with VFX for a long, long time. Now, Rumpelstiltskin, who I mentioned before, of course, he's a fairy tale character popularized by the Brothers Grimm in the early 19th century. But the story about an imp who can spin straw into gold and basically blackmails a woman to giving up her child unless she can guess his name. That story goes all the way back to about 2000 B.C. The name itself dates back to at least the middle 16th century. In German, it translates to little rattle stilt, uh, the stilt being a support pole. So Rumpelstiltskin is a guy who goes around shaking up the foundation of things. Buck Bokai, not a real guy either, but we've heard of him before. Uh, he got mentioned in The Storyteller just a couple of weeks ago. But if you go way back, he first became a track feature in The Big Goodbye, where it was mentioned that someone beat Joe DiMaggio's record. Buck wasn't named, but it was him. Uh, Gunji Jackdaw, uh, I believe we have our first and only emu sighting in Star Trek. Uh, They are tasty and very healthy. And uh, we get a really nice look at the model of the Daedalus class USS Horizon in this episode in Cisco's office. That model was built by Greg Jean originally just because he was a fan of Matt Jeffrey's original design and wanted to include it in Mike Okuda's Star Trek chronology book. Mm -hmm. Then they took a cast of that model and built the one you see in the show. And let's talk about guest stars. Rumpelstiltskin is played by Michael John Anderson. That should be a very familiar name to Twin Peaks fans. He is the man from another place featured prominently in that series, as well as in the movie Fire Walk with Me. He shows up again in David Lynch's film Mulholland Drive. You've also seen him in the HBO series Carnival. Kion Young plays Buck Book Born in Hawaii, Kion got his TV start in the early 70s and easily made the transition to film, too, with such titles like uh, Dude Wears My Car and Men in Black 3. Recent TV work has him turning up in recurring roles on Deadwood, True Blood and Alias, and he does a tremendous amount of voice work, notably in the G.I. Joe cartoon series, uh, Star Wars Rebels, Hi Hi Puffy Amy Umi, Avatar The Last Airbender and Archer, not the one with Brian Keith. This is the only time we will see Buck Bokai, but Kion will be back for one more Trek appearance on Enterprise.
1: Now batting for the mission loggers. Harmon, Ken, Ray.
2: Prologue. Odo and Quark are at it again. Quark is talking about the value of imagination, like he can make serious money off it. Odo sees the whole thing as a waste of time. He's not even convinced when Quark starts talking about wholesome entertainment. Why look, there's young Jake Sisko off to knock a few baseballs in the holosuite with some of the greatest to ever play the game. Julian and Dax are at it again. The doctor says he cannot concentrate, driven to distraction as he is by Dax. So Dax lists a number of females on which Julian seems to have no trouble concentrating. Leaving Julian to his... frustration, Dax heads to Ops where Kira and Commander Sisko are tracking a weird increase in Thoron emissions. Dax will give it a look. Miles and Keiko are at it again. Whoops, my bad. For once, they're not fighting. Miles is reading their daughter Molly a bedtime story. Rumpelstiltskin. Good Good night. Sweet dreams. But almost as soon as they leave her, Molly is out of bed telling her parents that Rumpelstiltskin is in her room. That's because he is. Act 1. Miles is reasonably freaked out. Rumpelstiltskin is just... chillin' in Molly's room. With Keiko and Molly gone, Rumpelstiltskin goes to ransacking O'Brien's quarters, while Miles calls for security. He really does seem to be Rumpelstiltskin... Asking whether Miles wants gold spun from straw, hating the sound of his own name. Very. Rumpelstiltskinny. When security is physically unable to lay a hand on the being, O'Brien calls for Commander Sisko, but he doesn't get past his door when Jake brings in Harmon Buck Bukai, a famous baseball player who's been dead for 200 years. He followed Jake home from the Hollow Suite. In Dr. Bashir's quarters... Wow, here's a turn of events. Dax is all over Julian. No, it's not a dream. There she is, ready to, um... play with Julian. Not surprisingly, her absolute willingness seems to make the doctor a bit uncomfortable. She must be sick. Or he must be sick. But neither one of them sick. Why are you fighting this? Asked Dax. And... Yeah, come to think of it, why am I? Just when Julian is about to join playtime, a call for senior officers to report to Ops. Julian figures the whole thing was a setup, though Dax says it's not a joke. In Ops, Bashir and Dax are introduced to Buck Bakai, Rumpelstiltskin, and Jedzia Dax. Yeah, it turns out the one who showed up in Julian's quarters isn't the real Dax. I mean, she's real, but she's not the real Dax. Act 2. Sisko's breaking the news to Buck Bakai about his not being real. I mean, he is real, but he's not the real Buck Bakai. Sisko tells the ballplayer that he's a holographic recreation, even if he does remember everything the real Bakai would remember. This can't be a hologram malfunction, though, since Rumpelstiltskin and the libidinous Dax weren't hollow-sweet creations. Rather, each came from someone's imagination— Rumpelstiltskin from Molly's, the Dax alike from Julian's, and Bakai from Jake's. How could this be? A subspace disruption? Some kind of dimensional shift? An undigested bit of beef? A blot of mustard? A crumb of cheese? Dax will look deeper into the plasma field where the strange Thoron emissions showed up earlier. Libidinous Dax is bored. She wants to go to Julian's quarters. With Julian. But when he says he has no time for this... She disappears. That's a surprise, and here's another. Odo says it is snowing on the promenade. Real Dax has found something. Some sort of spatial anomaly in the plasma field. A subspace disruption. Just like she said earlier. And it comes with bad news. Whatever falls into it is just... gone. And it's getting bigger. Back on the promenade, everyone's imagination seems to be running wild. Quark's got a woman on each arm, which pleases him greatly. Though that joy is cut short when Odo points out that all of Quark's customers are winning. Turns out they have imaginations, too. Real Dax and Bashir are working on the issue of the anomaly. Bashir also wants to apologize for... the other Dax. Though Dax says not to worry about it. She almost feels like everybody owes him an apology. Private fantasies are fine as far as she's concerned. His have just been exposed. Speaking of which, Libidinous Dax has come in, trying to get next to Bashir, calling real Dax a cold fish, telling her to give in to her yearnings, or she'll never know what she missed. This argument interrupted by the computer. It's found an issue similar to the one facing DS9 now. No reason anyone should have heard of it, though. When the rupture faced by the Hanoli system expanded, the Hanoli system was destroyed. Act 3. DS9 is sent a probe into the anomaly. While we wait for that, Rumpelstiltskin taunts Miles O'Brien. You're afraid of me because I could take your daughter. Then he disappears. Ah, well, probes the anomaly anyway. Bad news there. The distortion is getting larger and drawing in all surrounding matter. On his way back to Ops, Cisco has a chat with Buck Bakai about how he's not real, about baseball, about how everyone's busyness killed that game. Anyway, Buck wants Ben to know how much he appreciates his caring. It really means a lot to him. Or meant. Suddenly, there are the three figments. Rumpelstiltskin, Bakai, and the libidinous Dax. Rumpelstiltskin says he's not getting anywhere with his. Why would he conjure up something that could terrify him? Dax wonders why Julian would conjure a woman only to reject her. But Buck says he's made a connection with his. He senses feelings from Ben. He says they should continue with what they're doing. For as long as it takes. Act 4. The Rift is expanding. As a precaution, DS9 has diverted all incoming traffic away. O'Brien and Dax have studied up on the Hanoli Rift... Vulcans there tried to stop it by detonating a pulse wave torpedo near that rift. Five minutes after they did, the rupture expanded dramatically, and they were wiped out, along with the entire Hanoli system. So, O'Brien has a plan. They'll try detonating a pulse wave torpedo near the rift. The Hanoli incident was 200 years ago. Pulse wave torpedo technology has improved a whole lot since then... Kira's against the idea. If they fail, they could destroy DS9 and the entire Bajoran system. But here's the thing. They can either try to stop it the best way they know how, or wait for the rep to consume them and the Bajoran system. They'll try the torpedoes. That'll take a few hours. While we're waiting for that, we dip into the imaginations of Kira, Jake, and Odo. Not surprisingly, Kira imagines disaster at every turn... Jake imagines going to play baseball in the hollow suite, but he's got homework to do. Odo, meanwhile, imagines having Quark locked up in the brig. Imagining is fun. Back in Ops, the rate of Rift expansion is getting worse. Act 5. Time to shoot the anomaly. And that did not work. The anomaly is expanding, and everyone is about to die. Starting with Libidinous Dax... A blow to the head takes her out, though. She and Julian make a sort of emotional connection before she passes out. Rumpelstiltskin, meanwhile, says he can make all of this stop if Miles will meet his price, his daughter, for all of their lives. It seems an impossible choice, but the station is coming apart around them, and wow, imagine if all of this wasn't happening. And that's it. Sisko realizes that all of it. Rumpelstiltskin, Libidinous Dax, Buck Bakai, the snow on the promenade, all of it came from their imaginations. What if the Rift did too? In fact, it did, right? Dax thought there might be an anomaly in the Thoron energy, something she'd missed before. Once she imagined it and went looking for it, there it was. Cisco has new orders for O'Brien. Cancel red alert, drop shields, and... Probably the most important part, believe that we won't be consumed by the Rift. Because it's not there, if you believe it. Seriously, that part is really important. It works, as long as they believe it. Kira's readings are normal once she gets it; they're supposed to be, so are the readings coming into real Dax. In no time, the three figments are gone, and so is the Anomaly. The only thing that hasn't returned to normal are those pesky Thoron emissions, but they'll keep an eye on those for somewhere between 25 and 27 hours. A critical, though non-speculative eye. In his office, Sisko bumps into Buck Bakai. No, he's not just a figment of Ben's imagination. He's an explorer. He and his don't really get this whole imagination thing. It's real, but it's not. Benjamin asked Buck for information about his species, but oh, I'm sorry, our time is up. Maybe next year. The end. Imagination.
0: I don't know what you're doing. I'm, you don't uh, come I mean, on. You're, you're creeping me out. But come on, South Matter- Park, Imagination Land, imagination. Seriously, it's like a two and it's like a two and a half minute moment they did a whole parody about journey into imagination at epcot where where that that song will stick with you but in the south park episode it's just the the guy and he's got his whimsical steampunk kind of uh dirigible thing he's got the kids but his song is just that for like uh, just on and on and on and on
2: now was that the one with the magic locket
0: No, I think that is a different
2: episode. yeah, Because for some um, reason, I just now want to sing, magic locket. I don't don't know why, but I do. (laughs) I don't
0: know. I don't know. Um, That is a funny bit with uh, Quark ruminating on expanding into family entertainment and how it could coexist with his adult entertainment. I'm thinking of Vegas, of
2: course, because it
0: it worked there uh, until it didn't.
2: Well, now hold on, because uh-huh. uh, so you're talking about it for Star Trek at work there until it didn't. No, I mean the the whole Vegas marketing
0: campaign toward families. You think so? And yeah, you think it really? Because yeah, it, I mean, it worked. Excalibur, it worked for a
2: few years, right? Excalibur yeah. had its day. Circus Circus had its day. New York, New York. I don't think they still run the roller coaster though, do they?
0: Well, see, case in point, all the roller coasters got either stopped or stripped out
2: or they run occasionally. I was telling a friend of mine recently how Treasure Island used to sink a pirate ship like once an hour. And that was so cool. It was the coolest thing, Mm -hmm, right? And people mm -hmm. who don't know, don't know. But it was incredible because you'd just be walking down and they would like sail one ship around the building in pursuit of another ship. (laughs) And they were all like ship sized. And then they would sink. They would sink a ship. And then come back two hours later, they're doing it again.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But, but that, that was the big push, and then that lasted a few years, and then they're like, no, 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 new marketing campaign, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, definitely not aimed at kids. Uh,
2: probably so. not so much, although kids were no. probably glad to hear that. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bad, bad kids. I'm sorry, bad, <laughs> bad kids were. So Odo
0: has no sense of smell, hmm. we learned in this, which I found to be very interesting since he can shift into a being with all kinds of organs like eyes and ears, and presumably uses those organs for their intended purposes. Uh, I I wonder if this is just a limitation of his species, that they don't have a sense of smell. Therefore, it's not like they, they have sight somehow, so you can replicate an organ that acts as an eye,
2: you know? It does answer my question from a few weeks ago, though, about mm-hmm. how can he bear to sit down on anything? Right. Because I assume that you know, smell and taste are so closely related with us that if we didn't have one, we might not have the other. Or at least mm-hmm. I know that if, if you can't smell, then your sense of taste is, is definitely thrown out of whack. Yeah. So, so maybe sitting on a bar stool that hasn't been washed in, ooh, I don't know, decades— yeah, <laughs> wouldn't be as offensive to him as it might be for me if, if my entire body were also a giant tongue.
0: Yes. Um, speaking of Odo, uh, I really am liking the Odo and Jake relationship. Mm. Um, he, he refers to Jake, you know, young Mr. Sisko, and it, it, it's parental and it, it softens Odo. Because if from the very beginning, if all he was going to be is just the constable and and, and that character had a very hard moral line and uh, talked about how easy justice was under the Cardassians, uh, that would get old fast. But I think they picked the right way to soften him up. You see him being very protective of Jake, um, especially the last few episodes. Um, another nice Odo moment. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, and then Morn walks by. And all androgynous creatures. (laughs) Funny, funny bit for Odo, revealing bit for Morn,
2: you know? Yes, goes back to the question, the thing you had last week. Which question was that? Well, it wasn't a question you had, but Morn asks out Dax, and you're like, what if it's like, what if it's Julian and O'Brien later? And it's like, hey, so guess who asked me out for dinner?
0: Right. Morn. (laughs) Exactly. You never know. You never do. And then, uh, and of course, Odo is the one who says, please refrain from using your imagination. As as, if that has ever worked,
2: anytime, anywhere. I love that. There was something about the whole imagination thing that kind of reminded me of um, the ravenous bug bladder beast of trial and Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I don't hmm. know if you remember that. Do you remember that?
0: No, no not not specifically. No. Okay.
2: Well, I, I looked it up actually. Uh the guy okay. calls uh the bug bladder the stupidest creature in the entire universe so profoundly unintelligent that if you can't see it, oh. it assumes it can't see you. <laughs> okay. There's something there's something about that, you know, it's like the lack of imagination thing and how it's like, okay, everybody just don't imagine anything. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, it turns out that is actually the way they save the 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 um, that is the way they save Deep Space Nine, but for Odo to hit on that so quickly, just like okay, everybody, just stop imagining anything, yeah, and we'll be fine, except of course you can't, can you?
0: Right, and, that's funny. The, the description of the the bug bladder, uh, like for some reason, I remember the description, but not the. That name, because who, who remembers the bug bladder beast of trial, except for who you, Ken? doesn't? Well, I was going to say, you. What,
2: what's funny to me is, so people don't know this, but we spent easily 10 minutes looking up an episode, right? Yes, yes. Of, uh, of, of, uh, of Star Trek before we went mm-hmm. on. Yeah, of Next Gen, because we had to know the name of this one episode. I can tell you all about the Great Green Arkle Seizure. I can tell you all about the ravenous bug bladder abuse of Trial. <laughs> well, Some things well, do, just stick, John. Some things just I, stick.
0: I, I know. That it has been the curse of my life. Um, but to your point about Odo and, and the imagination thing, it's sort of like if you told me right now, uh, don't think about food. I'm sorry, but for the rest of the show, I'm going to be thinking about food.
2: But, that's ridiculous, though, because whether anybody mentioned food, that was going to happen.
0: That's very true. Very, very true.
2: Hey, here's a question for you. Does Odo's fantasy put the real Quark in jail,
0: or is that just what Odo imagines on the monitor? Uh, Because, you know, you think about it, uh, uh, Bashir Mm -hmm. imagines uh libidinous dax right but but libidinous dax is a different person That that is a different manifestation from the aliens right. and you still have the real dax hanging out elsewhere i'm just saying we don't see quark again for the rest of the episode after after odo imagines him in jail
2: but we did see the quark in jail disappear after odo was satisfied with his imagining they pulled that little, like, winking out of existence thing the way the three figments did. Yeah, there's a lot about the imaginings that I don't get. Who was imagining the emu? Was that was that, was that that him imagining that? Was he sitting around going, man, this place, you know what would really make my job difficult? <laughs> <This place. laughs> I was chasing big, flightless birds around. What if I was doing that right after a snowstorm? That would be... Well, hold on a second. I can't
0: tell you how many times I've walked into a building and said to myself, this place needs an emu. <laughs> <laughs> huh? yeah um and, and, uh, buck Bukai has this line to to jake he, he says uh, jake says oh my dad would kill me if i you know skipped out on homework and just went to play ball and, and the alien buck Bukai, asks him you, you really think your dad would kill you and there's some sincerity behind that and, and i'm thinking well what if this is another test here for the aliens like the aliens are learning so much about the humans and the other beings on board deep space nine and and they're like yeah well they, they do this thing where they imagine stuff and uh, this one guy runs a bar but he doesn't care about the bar once he has a couple of women hanging on his shoulders uh but a weird thing uh the parents will threaten to kill their children if uh, if they don't do homework uh just just tuck that away in the footnotes and in our encounters with human beings
2: it would have been a very, uh, well, it would have been a much darker episode, like, because Buck Buckeye says, do you really think your dad would kill you? And Jake says, I know he would. Yeah. And then he imagines a very docile Ben sitting there going, mm, you really should do your homework. Would have been really interesting if, like, you know, we had seen, like, Commander Sisko in a hockey mask with a chainsaw <laughs> standing <laughs> over him going, did you finish all of your homework? Because that's... <laughs> and then you're right, the aliens would definitely have a different idea of, um of how things might go. Uh, there was one thing that I honestly wondered if we caught a blooper on screen or if it was uh, if it was a line. Um, when everything's going nuts in Ops, Kira says, perimeter sensors are picking up a subspace oscillation. What the hell does that mean? And I thought, you know, that could either be her trying to figure out what that means or the actress going, how, what's my motivation? Because I don't even know what I'm talking about.
0: Uh, well, Ken, if we learned anything last week, it's that uh, if it was important, they'd tell you.
1: It is Dex and Dex, as you have never seen her before, fighting over whether they should be fighting over Dr. Bashir.
2: We'll go deeper into this week's episode in a moment, but first, but first... We
0: interrupt this podcast to tell you about another podcast. If I said to you, Mission Log Live, would you know what I meant? See, John Champion of Mission Log.
2: That's me. Wait, no, I'm sorry. That's you.
0: Yeah, yeah. See, and Ken Ray of Mission Log. That's you. Wait. Here's what we do. We get together every Tuesday night to do a live show. When Star Trek Discovery is on, we talk about Discovery. When Discovery is not on, we talk about just all kinds of stuff uh getting science into politics getting politics out of science uh the philosophy of star trek and world's fairs and uh uh, food probably toys
2: toys we're talking about toys oh man do we ever talk about toys we talk about all those things with all kinds of people like doug drexler dayton ward chase masterson rod roddenberry uh, the guests just keep on coming. Uh, sometimes there are no guests. Sometimes it's just me and, uh, and me, me, no, me and John. Yeah. I'm sorry, me and John and, uh, and you uh, just talking about all kinds of stuff. See, that's why we do it live. We want your calls to so join us every Tuesday night at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific on Facebook, actually on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash mission log pod, or you can download the show later. Just search for mission log live wherever you go for podcasts.
0: Wait, I have a better idea. Do both. Mm. Subscribe to Mission Log Live wherever you get podcasts. And join us live every Tuesday night, again at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific, at facebook.com slash
2: missionlogpod for
0: Mission Log Live.
2: Mission Log Live, a, a proud member of the Roddenberry Podcast Network.
0: Extraordinarily proud. Extraordinarily.
2: Yep. we stupid proud. We are stupid proud. To be a part of that uh, that that chain 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 of shows there, which uh, waving
0: banners and tapestries like nobody's business, <laughs> like
2: nobody's business. What? Mm-hmm. All right, all right. So, um, no imagination, huh? Says Quark. Odo says, "Waste of time. Too many people dream of places they'll never go, wish for things they'll never have, instead of paying adequate attention to their real lives." Mm-hmm. kind of a bummer just trying to tell me something no it's just a bummer yeah it's just i mean yeah. every now and then we go back to what was it the second episode of deep space nine second or third episode of deep space nine where keiko and miles are fighting i'm sorry the second third fourth and fifth episode of deep good to see mm-hmm. them not fighting in this episode sure yeah i give you that yeah um where uh, miles and uh, keiko are fighting and quark says uh, they don't want to be here and uh, and Odo says, or she doesn't want to be here. And Odo says, "Who does?" I mean, mm-hmm. he's just a, he's just a miserable, miserable character. And in this episode, mm-hmm. he is also a miserable character. Except, it turns out you peek behind the veil a bit, and he does have uh, you know a rich imagination. He does have a fantasy life. Uh, sadly, it is still very much law and order with just a you know just a just a taste of, I don't know, vengeance.
0: Yeah, I was supposed to say revenge. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not really yeah. revenge because yeah, Quark no, hasn't really done yeah. anything
2: to him. But yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, a bit of a, uh, a bit of. Um, I don't even know what that is, but yeah, he's got imagination. You just don't want to be on the wrong side of it.
0: Yeah, hey, a little bit of sadism, maybe
2: <laughs> sadism. You know? Sure. Okay. No, seriously, yeah. seriously. No, I know. He, he just
0: likes. Yeah, just likes to see Quark in in jail. Yeah, but just Quark.
2: I mean, yeah. he likes well, law and order, and then he likes to uh, he likes to bug quark.
0: So uh, let's talk about the Bashir thing a little bit because we've talked about Bashir a little bit on our show mm-hmm. and some of Bashir's behaviors in DS Nine. Um, I don't know that I can fault Bashir for what's going on with Libidinous Dax, um, except I can fault him for the opening bit. Uh, but so let, let's get to that part in just a second. Um, I like that there's a moment in this episode that says that Bashir is entitled to his fantasies, and it was really necessary for him to have that conversation with Dax. I'm glad that they wrote that scene for them together. Uh, She acknowledges that uh, he's okay. If anything, it's a violation of his mind to have everything on display in front of everyone else. I mean, mm-hmm. thank goodness that's that that's only as far as it went with uh, with Bashir.
2: Before we go on, though, to the opening part where he's, you know, professing, quote, love, end quote, or, or distraction or whatever. Mm-hmm. Is that scene uh, between uh, Julian and Dax undone at all by Libidinus Dax coming in and calling her names and, you know— I mean, it pretty much it goes really quickly from an adult, interesting conversation uh, to name calling and, you know, a very sort of 1950s, 1960s sitcom trope, doesn't it?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it, so it's a funny bit that Libidinous Stax says, I'm not submissive, am I? <laughs> I mean, that, okay, that's, that's cute. Yeah, that, that was, it
2: was written perfectly. It was written
0: absolutely perfectly and delivered very well.
2: I'm thinking specifically though of the cold fish thing. Like she comes in and says, yep. "Don't be such a cold fish," and then, and then you know, three hundred year old, perfectly, you know, in tune with everything. Dax says, "Cold fish," and it suddenly becomes it goes from it goes from being an adult conversation to being a, a relatively stereotypical conversation. I thought I don't know that it undoes the good part. But it was just sort of depressing or, or you know, kind of a downer to see it, you know, go so quickly into, I mean, in fairness, what the whole thing could have been. So,
0: yeah, yeah, it, I, I don't think it hurts it terribly, but it, it's sort of like it's sort of like watching Saturday Night Live. And you realize that they've gotten to the end of the scene and forgot to write the end of the scene.
2: Right. You realize they've gotten to the end of the scene. They haven't yet.
0: <laughs> right. Right right um but uh all in all good moments uh for bashir and dax uh but let's talk about that opening um come on come on julian stop because you, you've been asked to stop it has been made clear that this is not going to be a thing you know it's not going anywhere it's not funny or cute i i just i want to say to the guy look you get to say your piece once and you did and then move on, and then stop. Um, it, this is becoming harassment at
2: this point. Oh, it's been that, hasn't it? But, oh, yeah. But here's the thing, and this is not justification by any stretch of the imagination. I did think it was kind of interesting, though, that he finally gets what he wants, and he's like, nah! you know what I mean? Not like he wants to get away from her, but he was freaked out by it. And yeah. I mean, And maybe you could say, well, it's because it's such a radical departure. You could also say that he's just sort of Well, this speaks actually volumes. I mean, uh, she lists all the women that he was very interested in, not distracted at all when they were around. He may be Mm -hmm. a guy who just enjoys, uh, this is terrible, and I'm not saying it's good, but we may be learning this about his character. He may just enjoy the conquest. He may just enjoy the hunt. He may just enjoy... What I always thought Riker was, because I sort of watched Riker very casually before we had the stadium, I actually... Despite conversations that you and I have had recently with other people, mm-hmm. um, I I have a bit more respect for Riker than I did when we first started watching TNG. Uh, so far, there's just not a lot to like about, about the way Julian deals with women or treats women. Um, yeah, It works, apparently, because he talks about that. And Dax was listing off a bunch of people that he seems to have had playtime with them uh, relatively mm-hmm. recently. Um, you mean they're
0: making green memories
2: they may be making green memories that is quite okay. possible that's uh quite possible okay. i don't know i mean all that all that sort of sounds like justification and it's really not it's more just you know trying to figure out his character
0: there, there was one thing that that stuck out to me uh, how do we feel about baseball being dead by the 24th century Um... Because I I, I was trying to think of an analog. Uh, There aren't many sports today that don't have some kind of audience.
2: Well, but we used to have jousting tournaments, didn't we?
0: Well, yeah, but I mean,
2: (laughs) (laughs) that's true. I mean, we kind of quit with that at some point. People get really excited about fencing around the Olympics. And I know... And let me back up really quickly. I'm going to offend a bunch of people, and I'm sorry about that. Uh, Speaking as a guy who recently made jokes about soccer on another podcast... Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, great. I don't want to say anything about baseball or or fencing or curling or any of those things. I mean, it's quite possible. I'm actually. I'm going to let you say whatever you want to about the sports, John. Go ahead.
0: <laughs> wow, that's uh, the, the the shrinking violet here. <laughs>
2: well, I mean, when you say you're trying to think of an analog, I don't know. I mean. High was always going to be a huge thing one day. And I feel certain for some people, high actually did become a huge thing. I remember when the New England Revolution came to Boston, when they when they came to the Boston area as part of the expansion of Major League Soccer as part of the beginning of Major League Soccer. And I couldn't care less. And I still can't and baseball i'm the same way so i mean we may just be the wrong people to talk about this honestly unless you've been hiding some like you know sports fanatic side of yourself <laughs> about which you haven't told me
0: man then i hide it extraordinarily well um no but so like yeah you mentioned fencing and that's the thing that isn't on people's radar but sure the Olympics roll around and the Olympics has a tremendous TV audience and a tremendous in person audience as well.
2: Mm-hmm. So
0: the, the there are actually people who who will watch any number yeah uh, curling or or whatever that just shows up On the Olympics and go, oh, yeah, people do play that, even if it's not something that's sort of on your radar all the time. But the way they describe baseball in this show, though, was kind of interesting. And I think it's a very smart thing to do from a writer's standpoint, because, A, you give Cisco and his relationship with Jake, you give that some texture, some life, some color, just because, yeah, it's a thing that they're into that a 20th century audience watching this show for the first time could get uh, that kind of grounds them, but then you also remove it a bit by saying, "Well, in the future, it's not quite the same thing as you know now." There isn't a massive TV audience for a World Series because there is no more World Series after a certain point. Personally, I'm okay with it. I'm I, I'm okay. I, I like the idea that you can maintain an understanding of something through the study of history, and, and in their case, a holodeck, which is kind of cool. They can actually walk into a baseball game and practice playing this thing that nobody really plays anymore just because they can. Um, but I did wonder because I, I think it was on another podcast I was listening to not long ago talking about the idea that uh, let's say in 100 years, you know, football just might not be a thing. Mm-hmm. that 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 people play. Um, and you and I both growing up in the South, it, it's not an overstatement when you hear people say this, well, well football's a religion in the South. Yeah, football is uh, an an almost all-consuming thing for a lot of people in the South. So you float out this idea that football just might not be a thing and there might be good reasons for it to not be a thing. I look at that and I go, yeah, okay, I I get it. I get why it might not be, and um, the idea then that uh, that this is another thing that Star Trek says. Here's a difference between the future, the future that we posit, and now. Um, I, I, I'm I'm kind of okay with that.
2: Send your email to John. <laughs>
1: With the ball player, the mythical figure, and half the station's complement of Dax gone away, it is time to see what we can take from If Wishes Were Horses.
0: The title can, If Wishes Were Horses, but that's only half the phrase. Would you be surprised if I told you the rest of it goes something like this? If wishes were horses, beggars would ride. Oh. That from a 17th century English proverb uh well originated uh in scotland it's an english language proverb i should specify Mm. and you know the the intention being this if if all you had to do was wish for something great we'd all be fine but you actually have to go out and make things happen i can't just wish for it
2: i will tell you i would not be surprised to hear that because the whole time that we were preparing for this show i was thinking of a different phrase okay uh if ifs and buts were candy and nuts, we'd have Christmas all year round.
0: It's what it, that's <laughs> that, wow. Yeah. yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. Some
2: relative of mine used to say that. Uh, I'm a big fan of that relative, by the way. Huge. Because, <laughs> you know, when somebody's guiding you through growing up, that's really the kind of thing you want to hear. I was honestly surprised, though, that you did mention in trivia that that was the original title of this episode. <laughs>
0: Uh, yeah, you should have. I you should have. You yeah. should have. But it yeah. was uh, it was a little
2: long, you know, for TV Guide, which was a thing uh, back in right. 90 something. Ask your dad. And also, what's Christmas?
0: Right. So, <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, let us also not forget the uh, the Charles Weden show, Firefly.
2: Mm, how could a we?
0: Show that ran for only seventeen episodes. Yes. Uh, but it was Jane from that show who said, "If wishes were horses, we'd all be eating steak." Mm -hmm. yeah think about that one for a minute yeah
2: men they called jane uh, really really quite something actually you know i thought of jane as we were preparing for this episode as well Uh Um, because okay so so when quark's imagination runs away with him um Mm. he he gets a couple of showgirls on his arm right well one on each arm and it's not a tattoo i mean he's walking around basically he's promenading around the promenade with a couple of showgirls right And that's what he does. He walks around with them the whole time. And I honestly thought of, uh, I thought of Jane, (laughs) I'll be in my bunk. That's what I thought. Honestly, it seemed to me, it was was a very odd thing for him to just like, you know, oh, wow, I got these two, you know, beautiful women. I can't imagine what I would do with them except walk around and let everybody see I've got these two beautiful women.
0: Because he's like Doctor McCoy from Shore Leave. Oh,
2: that's right. With the
0: showgirls. That's right. Yeah. He
2: is. Yes, just like that. Yeah.
0: yeah well, an episode that has a little bit of resemblance to this episode. Shore Leave. You're saying. Yeah, but, but there are episodes, other episodes of Star Trek that might have some resemblance here. So um, I, I guess we've reached that point. Then will we figure out uh, what the moral's meaning's message is? Maybe a little crossover of some of those episodes, hmm. and whether or not this one holds up as well or or maybe worse than some of those other episodes so uh what do you say we do that part first
2: you go ahead
0: okay <laughs> well <laughs> so th- this episode answers the question from Michael Pillar how do you do a holodeck story without doing a holodeck story that, that was the whole point, is that he had come off of Next Gen, obviously, and a lot of holodeck stories there. You, you got your Moriarty running wild. You got Wesley throwing a snowball from inside the holodeck, and it comes out and hits Picard in the face. Um, you, you, got your, uh, you, you got your Orient Express. You got your big goodbye. You got all kinds of stuff in that holodeck. Mm-hmm. So what you do here is kind of the same thing you did in Where No One Has Gone Before. Instead of it being the holodeck, you, you introduce an alien influence. In that case, the traveler. In this case, we, we have our, our aliens, um, who we know nothing about at the end of the episode, except that they're explorers as well. And then, uh, the, our, our imaginations just manifest themselves, uh, from the characters. So that's what you end up with here. I, to me, this episode is completely and utterly Middle of the road. Fine. <laughs> I, I I do not find myself having strong feelings one way or the other about this episode. Total take it or leave it for me. Um, it is a well produced episode for what it is. Um, we should not expect an episode of Star Trek at this point to not be well produced. We have talented writers, we have talented actors, we have a great effects team. Clearly there, there was a lot of budget thrown to DS nine. Um, but what we have in a story is just something where uh, whimsical and weird things happen. So they have to figure out why and make it stop. And and that that's it. I mean, that that is it as far as the story goes. Um, I like that Rumpelstiltskin here isn't silly. Uh, you know, Michael J. Anderson plays him kind of weird and creepy. Uh, the Dax storyline has interesting moments to talk about, which we did. I really like Buck Bakai mm-hmm. I, I don't know why, because I feel like Keon Young almost underplays it too much. But there's something about that performance that I really dig, that that he's so just sort of grounded as the fish out of water here, that there's something sort of charming and, and interesting about that portrayal. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, we mentioned Shore Leave. We mentioned Where No One Has Gone Before. We mentioned all the holodeck episodes, or at least a, a few of them. Um This feels like it's treading familiar ground. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: I don't hate it. I I don't hate it for that. I don't don't count against it for that um, because I think there are okay things in this episode. But because it's familiar ground, it doesn't stand out to me. So I I can't really say that I give it a pass. But at the same time, I can't say that I hate it. Um, How about you?
2: I think I hate it. Okay. <laughs> I think <laughs> <right>. I do, <laughs> honestly. Okay. Now here's the thing. If I were just watching it, you know, like one afternoon after work, I come home, flip on the T V and and there's this episode. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't hate it. I I could pass forty eight minutes, I suppose, with this, although with commercials it'd, you know, feel like an hour and a half. Um I don't know. I mean it's it's I think it's bad. I, 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 I really don't like it at all. I mean, hate is such a strong word, although I think in my notes I do actually have hate <laughs> down there. Oh, there it is. Yeah. Yeah. Hate. Okay. So I think the storyteller did a better job talking about the power of imagination. By far. Yeah. Okay. And and that was like three weeks ago, maybe two or three weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel like the writing is a bit convoluted because I don't know who's doing what. Like Like, who is it that, you know, made... Uh, made it snow on the promenade, and who was it that made the emu happen on the promenade? I think I think Cisco said at one point half the inhabitants of DS Nine had uh, reported some manifestation of their imagination uh, turning up. Right. Mm. Well, first of all, how do you know? <laughs> uh, but then, additionally, like, are they sticking with one person, or are they jumping from person to person? Because Molly made Rumpelstiltskin, right? But Rumpelstiltskin attaches to uh, to Miles and and Jake made uh Buck Bakai and yet uh, Bikai, uh, uh attaches to uh, t- attaches to Benjamin. Yeah. And so so the writing doesn't doesn't really work for me, but you can't even say it's like oh well it's just crazy imagination stuff because they tried to introduce some sort of system how the whole thing would work except it still doesn't, right? Mm-hmm. Um as far as the aliens coming in and not letting you know what their secret plan is but really messing with your life Uh, The TNG episode, uh, the one that we had to look for a very long time to find the name of uh, liaisons (laughs) actually did a slightly, slightly better job of aliens learning about things they don't understand, because at least the way they were trying to do it makes sense. Right. Like like the one that was originally supposed to be assigned in, in liaisons, the one that was supposed to be assigned to uh, Riker ends up wanting to be assigned to, to, to Worf because, you know, oh, and he's mean to Worf and whatever. And he, it's because he wants to learn about anger. And the one who's assigned to uh, Troy is there because he wants to learn about pleasure. But of course, you know, the one who, who who is assigned to Troy, all he's really learning about is, you know, Epicurean pleasure, like, you know, just the joy of eating, not even the joy of cooking, just the joy of eating, and never mind sex, and never mind music, and never mind art. And yet he walks away thinking, well, now I know about pleasure. Thank you very much. And the one who was assigned to, the, uh, to, uh, to Riker originally, who went off to the Klingon, went off to Worf, uh, he wanted to learn about anger. But all he's really learned about is pissing off a Klingon. Right which you can do just by talking to a Klingon. So he hasn't even really learned anything there. And yet I feel like that was a slightly better job of learning about people when you don't understand something because these guys are like, I don't really get imagination, but I'm going to play with yours. You know what I mean? I mean, it's just, and then trying to be all cute about the whole thing. Like Benjamin was like, you know, you could have talked to us instead of throwing us into peril. And Bakai is like, oh no, 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 you did that. Well, no, actually...
0: (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> no let's say uh, yeah let's reassess here,
2: so yeah. I mean, had we had like some sort of like if we had done a little bit more with Bakai and found out like what you mm. know Ben's deal is with baseball or what Jake's deal is with baseball, or mm. why that, and baseball's not my thing. We talked about it last segment. There are very few sports that that would speak to me in that way at all, but if we had done like that kind of character digging into characters you know for for Benjamin or digging into or you know any one of them. If we had actually done any kind of, they didn't even come to the answer. Rumpelstiltskin sits there and says, "Why would he conjure something that would terrify him?" Okay, that is a great question. That is a fantastic question. See, also Kira, she goes downstairs to uh, to to evacuate something, and uh, and they, uh, she thinks the thing explodes. Okay, so why isn't the fire sitting around that table with them going, yeah, and what's up with that girl, huh? I mean, <laughs> right, I mean it just right. the logic of the whole thing doesn't make any sense to me. Now, here is how I could have ended up liking this episode, I think, or at least liking it a tiny bit more. If instead of being aliens that we're likely never going to see again, uh, this had been the Prophets. Mm. That would have been cool Mm. to me for a couple of reasons. Uh, First of all, we sort of introduced the idea of the prophets and we've heard nothing again. Now, I know we have Mm. like six more seasons and change left and we're only on episode like 13 or 14, but we do know that there are these, you know, pan galactic beings. About fifty yards off DS Nine, <laughs> and yet we've heard nothing or seen nothing of them. And also, it would have made Deep, uh, deep Space Nine a sort of a creepier, uh, maybe more perilous place in a way. Right to know that that is always right there and could really mess with us at any time. So, I mean, that might have done it for me. Even so, though, I still would have been like, okay, but explain this logic to me and 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 why. So, yeah, I don't know. Like I said a minute ago, as far as as far as messages, uh, there's sort of a thing about the power of imagination here, except I feel like the storyteller did it better. Are there other messages, sir, that um, that I'm just I'm just too full of hate (laughs) to have noticed myself?
0: Well, I, see, that's just it. it it's that to me, this episode doesn't really know if it's making a statement about imagination or not. I, it, it sort of says fantasies are great. Uh, they're important. Uh, don't let them get out of hand to the point of distorting reality, but but still, they're pretty great uh, unless they're bad. <laughs> you know, um, right, right. Th- th- there is something in here for Dax. Uh, the 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 message to her, even if you want to find an answer so badly and you want the answer to be true you still can't assume that you're right so you have to check and double check uh but here's the thing she does so it's kind of hard to fault her entirely (laughs) you know she she's actually really good about not just jumping to conclusions so um yeah, the the, the the odds were kind of stacked against her at that point. I, I will say that if you wanted to sort of paint a bigger picture of a message, you could say something along the lines of sometimes our problems are bigger only because we imagine them to be that way. Um, so we, we sort of uh, let, let our, our anxiety about a problem get ahead of us. And and that distorts our ability to actually deal with a problem in a realistic way. So um, maybe I'll give them that.
2: Yeah, except there are two things that I'll 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 look to on that. One, I'll okay. take us back to the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, as mm. cute as it was. In I can't remember if it was Life, the Universe, and Everything. I think it was Life, the Universe, and Everything. Uh, Arthur Dent understands that the way to fly is to throw yourself at the ground and miss.
0: Uh, right, yes. Okay.
2: Cute and funny. Mm-hmm. Probably not physically true. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about um also there's all this instrumentation all over Deep Space Nine, right? Like if I mm-hmm. imagine I'm late and I check my watch and it turns out I am late, it wasn't my imagining that I was late <laughs> right. that made me late. And I've got yeah. readings to prove it. So, I mean, yeah, yeah, you can say sometimes our problem are bigger only because we imagine them to be that way. Except if you then check the thing that says there's oscillation on the periphery or whatever it was that Kira didn't know what it meant. (laughs) And it actually says that. I mean, you know, yes, check and check again and check a third time. Eh, By that third time, though, generally speaking, uh, it turns out you were right. Unless you're checking an altimeter or an oscillate, ocelot, an oscillation (laughs) thing.
0: Do uh, Ken, don't ever oscillate the oscillate.
2: Oh, that's a, that's a, that's a Smith song, isn't it?
0: It was, it was. Mission log is produced by Roddenberry entertainment executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. You can find so many great podcasts at podcast.roddenberry.com. You got your mission log, which you're listening to now. You got mission log live, which you should definitely subscribe to. And while you're at it, subscribe to women at warp priority one, the Trek files and check back often for more of what's to come. If you'd like to support Mission Log directly, you can do so at patreon.com slash And for more exciting Star Trek podcasts, check out Trek FM. That's trek.fm. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com.
2: Next week, The Forsaken. Some
1: of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at Warp11.com, and from the album Messages by Key Theory, free to download at K-I-Theory.com. Can you imagine if we did this again next week? I guess we will find out if you could. Next week.